0: Welcome to Talkin' SEC. Writer, photographer, and producer Philip Jordan discusses the latest news and breaks down the biggest games with the best analyst around. Now, from Southeast Alabama, a state that knows its sports. Here is Philip Jordan.
1: Welcome everybody to Talking SEC. I am your host, Philip Jordan from Last World on College Football on 96.9 The Legend in Dothan, Alabama, where I am the in studio host and producer for Dothan Wills Football. Welcome into Talking SEC. I hope everybody had a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend. It was a long weekend. It was a good weekend. Plenty of food. Hung out with some family. And of uh, course, of course, football, especially on Friday and Saturday with college football. It was a pretty good friday of college football i mean no SEC games were were played which look that really messed me up because you're used to having an SEC game on friday which back in the day it was always the lsu arkansas game but in the last couple of years it's been arkansas missouri would have been nice if we could have got something something from the ssc on friday and usually on thursday the last couple of years you've been used to the egg bowl which that game was played on Saturday. So, uh, SEC, I'm going to need you to do better next year. I'm going to need you to put some some games on Thursday and Friday to enjoy on Thanksgiving weekend. Saturday was a lot of fun. Of course, you had the Iron Bowl. Uh, the Egg Bowl was played on Saturday. Had uh, some interesting results there throughout the SEC and college football as a whole really shaping up for the playoff rankings coming up. The second playoff ranking is going to be interesting And on Wednesday's podcast, we'll do a podcast on Wednesday. supposed to have a guest there. I'm not going to announce who uh, because it's not 100% confirmed. But even if I don't have a guest, I'll do a quick podcast, give my thoughts on the playoff rankings. Uh, On this show today, I'm going to be joined by Matt Lowe from Lindy Sports, where he is editor and writer. Matt, one of the regulars here on Talking SEC, and we will talk about the Iron Bowl. We will talk about the Florida Gators. And also, we will discuss Vanderbilt firing Derek Mason, and where Vanderbilt goes from here. So really fun stuff with Matt. And then after my conversation with Matt, I will go around the SEC, hit on a couple topics as I will close out today's show. Before we jump into all that, let you guys know you can find me and the podcast. You can find me on social media at PJordanSEC. And the show is on Twitter at TalkingSECPod. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are on Apple Podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Always means a lot when you do that. And the show is on YouTube. Now, there's not a video form of my conversation with Matt. There's a, a little audio thing on YouTube, but not the video. Like you saw last week, me and Brandon Iserman on the show. Which Brandon will be on in the late week edition of the show to help me pick and preview the big matchups in the SEC this weekend. And that will be a two-guest podcast later in the week. Jason Ray, managing editor, last word on college football, will be on. We're going to talk Heisman. Uh, Jason puts out the big Heisman article we do every week. where We all vote for it. But uh, Jason's going to be on to talk about the Heisman, especially, hey, look, we got Florida's. Kyle Trask, and Alabama's Matt Jones in that conversation. So it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of good shows coming up this week, and like I said, there will be a Wednesday podcast. Not sure the guest, but uh, I'll be on anyway to talk about the rankings. If that's all you'll see, you'll you'll see a short podcast. Or you may see a longer podcast, but there will be uh, three shows this week here on Talking SEC. Anyways, guys, that's enough of me talking here in the open. I'm sure you're ready to hear Matt talk about all things SEC. And let's jump into my conversation. With Matt Lowe from Lindy Sports. Everybody, joining me today on the early week edition of Talking SEC is Matt Lowe, Lindy Sports editor and writer. And uh, Matt, uh, once again, appreciate you coming on the show.
0: No problem, Philip. Always a pleasure, man. Yeah,
1: hey, uh, glad to have you all. How was your Thanksgiving before we get started here?
0: It was good. I ate a lot and uh, smoked a turkey on my smoker, and it turned out really well. So uh, it wasn't dry, it was nice and moist. So uh, did that on saturday so while i was watching football so i had a great evening with my uh my wife's uh, father and her and his his uh wife and uh had to get a little dinner there and just had some good time with the family man it was good to, good to, good to do
1: yeah i did the eating a lot thing thursday uh I tapped out early Thursday night just because my stomach and the rest of my body could take no more. So I had to hit the hay a lot earlier than I usually do. And uh, you know, and I'll say this about Thanksgiving, and this is going to tie into SEC. I was kind of mad at the SEC this year for not giving us the Egg Bowl on Thursday night. I, 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 I was used to that every year, and I was kind of upset we didn't get that this year.
0: Yeah, and... You know, they used to get a lot of big time college football games on Thursday night, but it seems like now the NFL is kind of taking over that, that day as far as sports goes. But I'm with you, man. I mean, I remember Texas, Texas A&M used to play on Thursday night and the Egg Bowl. I mean, there was a couple other games used to play. Uh, I think Arkansas and LSU, they usually played that Friday after, uh, for the longest time. So there was always really good football on, but yeah, I kind of missed that on Thanksgiving nowadays.
1: Yeah, usually we've been getting the uh, Arkansas Missouri on a normal year. Arkansas Missouri on that day, uh, which I'm not a fan of. I, f- I feel like the conference is trying to force that rivalry on us. I do miss the uh, the battle for the boot at one thirty on CBS on on Fridays. It's uh, uh just if anybody's from the SEC office, which I doubt they are listening, but if they happen to stumble across this show, uh, give us that back on next year uh, in 2021. But uh yeah, it was a it was an interesting weekend overall in college football in the SEC overall, of course, I guess the centerpiece, especially, you know, both me and you are both stationed here in the state of Alabama. Uh, The Iron Bowl, and I I tried to be positive going into it, Matt. I thought Auburn maybe give Alabama a game for about three quarters. I was badly mistaken with this game. Uh, When you looked at this past week's Iron Bowl, uh, what was your biggest takeaway from it?
0: Well, uh, Auburn entered the game kind of behind the eight ball with you know injuries to their starting tackles, and of course they lost Brandon Council for the year. He was their starting guard, uh, and they lost him for the year, so they were kind of down to a pretty thin line. And you know, going up against Alabama was a taller, pretty tall task, as it, as it was. But with those injuries, and of course Tank Bigsby, what didn't seem like he was a hundred percent. But I don't think they could have beaten them this year anyway. I, I'm I'm pretty sold on Alabama. Probably be the national champion. I just think they got too much on offense and their defense has really improved them i mean they they've gotten a lot better from game one till now so and i tell you there's a couple of true freshmen they got tim smith uh nose tackle there and then malachi uh malachi Moore there, the cornerback outstanding young freshman uh, corner i mean those are two real good uh centerpieces for them to build upon moving forward but uh, just, you know, Alabama's offense, though, I mean, their offensive line is just powerful, and I think I said this, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, you know, if you can't get pressure on Mike Jones, I mean, it's going to be it's gonna be kind of like Joe Burrow last year, I mean, if you can't get to him, he's going to pick you apart, and the guy's, he's really accurate, you know, with the deep ball, and uh, just a really good player, and, and, and you know, kind of went the way I thought it would, but I did think Auburn was hanging there a little bit better.
1: Yeah, and Going into it, I I know Alabama was playing better defensively, but I guess for me, I, look, I said, well, they play Tennessee, Mississippi State, Kentucky. Obviously, Auburn's been playing better offensively, and they should be able to do things. But you're, you know, you're right. I mean, the Tane Bixby thing, I think we, we did see once again with Auburn. If they can't run the ball, it's going to be pretty hard for them because once you they have to put everything on Bo Nix, he's just not at that level where he can carry the team with his arm. And then, like you said, with the lack of the, the pass protection too.
0: Yeah, and, and- – watching Bo Saturday, I mean, it looked like he was trying to, you know, throw ninety five mile an hour fastballs every throw and you know, sometimes that's not needed and I'm not I'm not knocking Bo Nick's the player or anything. It just looked like it looked like he was trying to hum everything in there and, and a couple of times it was just going over the guy's head or off the fingertips. Of course Seth Williams dropping that ball right there before half. That was that was a big momentum killer. You know, heading in the half there, they should have a touchdown there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you you got to be able to run the ball, especially in that system that they run. And I don't like some of the RPO stuff that they're doing. I mean, it's like Bo will fake his own read, and then he'll run for a little bit, and then he'll pop up and throw a ball out to the right or the left. And I just I just think that's a dangerous play. Uh, it's one thing if you got a defense on his heels and and you got the deep ball going, the running game going, and everything working. But when you're not running the ball and you sling it out there on a zone read RPO and the speed Alabama has on its defense or fast defense, period, I just think that's a tough play. You know, so I, I, I'd like to see them kind of scrap that, that, um, that philosophy on offense. But, you know, there's a lot of moving parts with Auburn right now. They've had a lot of injuries. So, um, just one of those years, it looks like they just, you know, kind of a rebuilding year.
1: Yeah, and, you know, first I look at Alabama, and and I think, me, you were on uh, the week. You know, after they lost Jalen Waddell, and I was kind of wondering, you know, when would that ever come back? It don't matter. <laughs> I mean, they've got so many dudes on that offense. You know, you look at Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, and I don't, I don't think sometimes he gets enough credit as a receiver. What he does for that team. Coming out of the backfield, you got Minchie. They got Billingsley, is now emerging as a tight end, and, and Matt Jones doesn't get touched. I mean, that's a big thing with Alabama, too. I mean, I don't see anywhere where you can attack that offense where you can take anything away. So, for anybody to beat them, it's going to be hard. I mean, look, we know the Florida game's coming up. We know two are going to play in the SEC. I mean, when you look at those two teams and when Alabama, that's going to be their biggest challenge, but. Our Florida definitely doesn't look like a team that can slow them down. I don't think anybody that can.
0: I don't. I don't think so either. And and you know that that's the Florida's got a, a potent offense, and that game might be in the forties. You know, but I I'm in agreement with you. And I tell you, Najee Harris, uh, he's a he's a load man. That dude runs hard, and I remember you know Alabama fans were kind of like because he was I think the number one running back in the country if I'm not mistaken come out of high school, and it took him a couple of years to develop. I mean, what's interesting to, to watch with Alabama now is, you know, you got all these guys, if they don't start, they want to transfer. You don't, or they, they get mad, get upset because they're not playing. But, but you look at a guy like Mac Jones, who was, who's been in the program. You look at Najee Harris, been in the program. Devontae Smith's been a star from, from the outset. But Miller Forrestal, a guy that's been in the program, these guys have stuck it out. You know, they hadn't whined or they hadn't just quit on their team and transferred, so they took it out, and now they're stars. So, I mean, look, you're talking about Mac Jones. I mean, again, I told – I really thought watching him play last year and just the pieces that he had around him going into the season, this season, I thought he could be a Heisman candidate just because, I mean, he can throw the ball to Smith, he can throw the ball to Waddle, he can throw the ball to Najee Harris, or and, and they can score. You know, from anywhere. And when you have that and you have the best offensive line in the country blocking for you or one of them, I mean, all you got to do is deliver the ball, and that's what he's doing. And I do, I think the guy's the leading frontrunner for the Heisman Trophy right now, and I think he's going to win it.
1: Yeah, and with them, when you watch them play too, you know, not a lot of teams in the country can say this. I mean, Florida, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, a couple others, it doesn't matter where they're at on the field. There is a threat that play they're going to score. I mean, and sure. we, and as a defense coordinator, that I mean, that, they don't want we'll to admit it, but that has got to be a frightening thing when you go up against that team because one little mistake. You saw it on the first touchdown in the Iron Bowl with DeFonte Smith with uh, with Auburn secondary. I mean, any play, one little mistake, and they're taking it to the house.
0: Yeah, and I don't I don't think people realize how good that guy is. I yes. mean he is a and he's not very big, but dude he's tough and he's fast and he's strong i mean he looks thin, but he's strong i mean so just a great player and you're right i mean and and that's such a threat that's kind of way the l s u was last year you know i mean anytime they could score a touchdown and when you ha when you're that potent on offense it's tough for for defenses and the the, ult, the ultimate you know equalizer there is having a defensive line. That's big enough and strong enough to move Alabama's offensive line and hit Mac Jones. I just don't see any defensive line across the country that can do that. I, and I, I don't. And, you know, Auburn had a great defensive line last year and, and was able to pressure Mac Jones and hit him a little bit and force him into some bad throws. And, you know, and they, and they did the same thing to LSU. But, I mean, there's no no team out there, in my opinion. Right now, that has a defensive line capable of, of really disrupting their offense.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, if you're going if you're going to beat them, and you're going to have to have an elite quarterback. And, and as we talk, we talk about Florida coming up, and I guess. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Florida the last couple of weeks has kind of started out a little slow in both their games against Vanderbilt two weeks ago, then this past week against Kentucky. I know Vanderbilt it was seventeen ten, they were up at halftime. Then think it's Kentucky that had the big punt return by uh, Kadarius Tony to go up fourteen to ten. Any concern for you there that these last couple weeks against I maybe mean, it's honest lesser opponents they've kind of got off to these slow starts?
0: Uh, I mean. Uh, not really. I mean, I, they, they've also, you know, didn't play for, with Kyle Pitts there for a couple of games. You're talking about an elite player. Uh, so that possibly could have had something to do with it. But the thing that that's eye-popping to me with Florida, though, watching their defense, you can run them. I mean, it, <clears throat> that, that's that's their bugaboo right now It's just run defense. So I think if they get up against an Alabama in the championship game, I mean, you're going to see Alabama's offensive line kind of push them around and, and so and that's you know that's not good playing the tide
1: yeah it is not and of course everybody that watched the game saw the little blow up between dan mullen and uh over there on the sideline uh that gave everybody on twitter something to to jump up about and you talk about kyle pitts and i wonder if you're a defense you know here in college football and obviously he's going to make a lot of money and i think he has a bright future in nfl who do you put on him? Because if you put a corner on him, he he's going to outpower him because he's bigger than them. A safety or linebacker, more than likely, he's just going to run right past them. He he's just a not he is a matchup nightmare for whoever they play.
0: Yeah, I mean you're talking about a guy that's about six five, you know, two fifty. I mean when he catches the ball, he's got long strides. I mean he just kind of pulls away from people. I mean and that's just. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, you you probably want uh, a guy that's strong enough to play some bump and run and strong enough to, you know, to be a good tackler and run support uh, and that's physical. But, you know, those guys, to cover those kind of guys, they're hard to find. I mean, you Mm -hmm. talk about this guy's just he's just a great athlete, you know. So, I I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I'd probably put my best cover guy on him, you know, as far as man-to-man goes. And and I'd let – See what happened, or I double team him. Then again, when you do that, I mean, Florida's got other players that can hurt you.
1: Yeah, that's true, and you know, like, and I always look back at kind of what you know, this is NFL, but what teams did when Gronkowski was at the his top of his game. You know, blanket coverage. You know, have two guys on him. But like you said, I mean, Florida's got so many good players, and that's what helps them out there to just give it to one of them other receivers, and they'll beat you on them play. So it, it is going to be fun in a couple of weeks. I mean, we're you know, we're putting the cart for the horse, maybe. I mean, they still have to play some games. doing air quotes here, but we all know that's going to be the Alabama and Florida SEC Championship game. Uh, and, and over the weekend, of course, uh, Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason was fired, and they're 0-8 this year. It's been a struggle for Vanderbilt mm-hmm. this year in the last couple of years. And I, I don't want to say on this too long, but when you, when you look at Vanderbilt and that job – what do you think they need as a program for somebody to come in there, just able to to win, or you know, hit put that program in the right direction? They had a taste of it with James Franklin, and James Franklin is tr- is a tremendous coach. But in your in your opinion, what do they need to look for as a head coach uh, for the betterment of the program?
0: Well, I think Jordan. Rod- listen to Jordan Rogers talk about this today on Cole's Kubelick Show, and and he was pretty much talking about this is the same problem they've had down there for years. Is you know, upgrading the facilities, you know, putting money into the football team. I mean, Vanderbilt's got a good athletic program. I mean, their baseball team's top-notch. I mean, and so I think that's the first thing. I mean, I remember going down to UAB about nine, ten years, well, sh- probably longer than that, and uh, doing an interview and going around and talking to some coaches. And their facilities, my high school and middle school were better facilities than the, the, the football team's. And 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 it blew my mind. I was like, no wonder nobody wants to play football here. I mean, you gotta you gotta make it to where a player like, hey man, I'm I'm going to to college. I'm going to get my degree, but I'm also I'm going to be taken care of here. And I think that's a big thing with kids now. I mean, they want to go in and be you know have the red carpet rolled out for them and have the facilities to succeed. So I think that's the first order of business, and. if I'm taking that job, I'm going to, I want a commitment from the athletic department that they're going to do that and upgrade the facilities. I think that's the most important thing. And I think they need to get a guy that, that of course knows how to recruit, but I think you've got to run a, a, a style there. You know, like the coastal Carolina uh, coach, his name escapes me, but they run a different style of them they get in the shotgun and they do option stuff. It's real exotic. I mean, something like that. Or get you a – you know, just get you a guy that or the, that's a high-powered offense guy and then go out and get a good defensive coordinator. So – because you're not going to out-athlete people at at Vanderbilt. You're not going to out-athlete Florida and Georgia. So you need to come up with creative ways and a fun way of football for the players – well, they want to come play in a system where they can, you know, do well and succeed. So I think that's a – and that's a tricky thing. It's hard to find guys like that. But, you know, I, I think they need somebody that's a really innovative thinker and, and somebody that can lead guys. And, you know, they need a commitment from – like I said, they need a commitment from the athletic department to win and, and upgrade the facilities.
1: Yeah, that's a that's one of the things. I heard it. And I've seen people mention this. Do you think they should maybe you know talk about something different, bringing somebody to run the triple option? Because obviously nobody in the SEC is running that.
0: I don't. I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, I you know I, I don't know how that offense you know would succeed in the SEC just because there's there's so many big linemen and there's so much speed. But it's worked before. You know, I mean, back in the eighties, that's all teams were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, in the '70s too. So, I mean, yeah, I mean that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. Though you get in, you get a, a a system that's different. You know, whereas I remember back playing football when I played, we always played Pelham High School and they ran the triple option, but that was like the only team that ran the triple option, and and you had a week to prepare for them. You know, and it was it was a lot to, to take in uh, with a week to prepare. You know, so I think that kind of thing when you go week to week to week in the SEC, and say, hey, you're going up against a Florida, and they've never, they're not familiar with playing that type of offense. It it makes it trickier for teams to get ready for them. I mean, you know, that's just, I don't know, but it, it's like I said. I mean, they're the worst program in the in the league in football. So they got a long way to go. I mean, it's not. i just, you know, what what do you want? What does your program want out of the football team? I, that's the key question right there, and and it's just it's tough to tough to answer because that's a tough job for football.
1: Yeah, it is, and you know, just kind of, you know, I know they, I guess they got a taste of it with James Franklin, but uh, some success. But uh, it'll be interesting where they go See, uh, with that hire.
0: Yeah, and Franklin. I think Franklin got upset with them about the facility thing. I mean, because. Franklin's a recruiter. He's he's an innovator. He's he's a good offensive mind coach. I mean, he he was winning eight nine games. I mean, that's that's to me. I mean, that's that's great expectations. I mean, at at Vanderbilt, considering who you got to beat inside the league.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. One hundred percent. And you know, that's it it was just. I was shocking what he was doing there because you know like you said I mean Vanderbilt's usually been the the worst team in the conference and then seeing that he was actually having success there i mean it it was pretty it was really a tremendous job on his side like you said facilities is probably the main thing is the main thing there they've got to improve on the football side of things
0: yeah another saying too Philip. I mean you got to be smart to get into that school mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean
0: you can't be a dummy to get in, you can't be a dummy to get into Vanderbilt i mean you can't get into vandy with a, a 2.8 gpa you know you gotta you gotta be a pretty intelligent person who uh who wants to do their schoolwork. and but they, you can find 25 guys you know each year that will want to do that it's just you gotta be a good talent evaluator and you gotta know where the players are and you gotta know what the players are that, that have that are pretty smart
1: yeah i mean look it's you know i know it's been not last couple last year or two hasn't been great for them but Stanford and you got Northwestern who found ways to be successful with those you know high standards academically so I mean maybe those are some things you need to look at I mean obviously you couldn't get one of those two coaches but you know I've heard people mention this too is and it's a good idea maybe if you could sit down and have a conversation with them what do you do you know, to equal success. I mean, obviously there's two good coaches, but there's more to it than that to bring in the players and, like you said, development of talent and evaluate talent.
0: Yeah, I mean, and again, you're not, you're not, you can't go out and recruit kids that are great athletes that are ba- barely getting by in their grades. It just, it don't, you can't get those type of, type of players. You gotta have a good player that's uh, got a good, that's smart. I mean, and maybe you get guys that you kind of develop, and that's why, you know, I think as a, as a, plan for Vanderbilt. They need to hey, we wanna have a team that might can win eight or nine games every couple of years. You know, every couple of years and I think that's I mean I don't I just don't see Vanderbilt ever getting to the point though where they're going ten and ten and two or, or twelve and 0 in the SEC. I just I just don't think they can get to that level.
1: Yeah, and anything you know, like I said it'll be interesting with them. Of course, you got South Carolina sitting out there. Who they're going to hire? It's uh, it's, it's getting that time of year where it's the coaching carousel is about to hit, and it's gonna it's it's going to be interesting.
0: Well, yeah, and then see about South Carolina. I mean, right now, you know, another thing too that I don't think people really think about is you got to you got to think about the talent pool in your state. Mm-hmm. All right, if you don't have a whole lot of great football programs in your state, I mean, you can't dominate the state still a good football team. So you gotta think outside the box a little bit. And South Carolina's going up against Clemson, who's getting the best players in the state. So that's a you're gonna have to have somebody that can can sell a, a certain type of playing style and and really recruit because right now Clemson's getting all your best players and the year that Spurrier was at South Carolina they had success, they got Marcus Lattimore and J Dion De- Clowney, two of probably the best players that have ever played in the state of South Carolina. And they landed those two guys. And I think Connor Shaw was a South Carolina kid. And uh, they had uh Stephon Gilmore. I don't know if he was a South Carolina kid or not. He might have been. Uh, but so you got three NFL type players right there in the recruiting class and that's why they had success. You know, but it's those guys don't grow on trees, you know. <laughs> and so it's Recruiting and, and evaluating – and I'll say this about any football program on any level, you've got to be able to evaluate your players and evaluate a player who's good or who you think can grow into a good player because let's face it, I mean, nowadays some kids are late bloomers. And when you get into college, you're still developing not only as a person but as a player. So you need to and, – and that's why I think too – Nobody ever talks about in recruiting what's a kid's worth work ethic. Does he have a five star work ethic? Because when you're playing on a certain program or or, or in a, at a certain level of football in high school, you might be the best player on the team. You might be the best player on the field every time you go play. But when you get into the SEC, everybody's just as good as you are, or, or close to it. You know, and there's 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 exemptions for some of that with with people that are really great players, but. I mean, so you got to get in there and you got to work. And if you get in there and, well, Coach goes, well, you're not good enough right now, and you pout and you say you want to transfer, you're not doing yourself any good, in my opinion. So you got to yeah. be able to accept the fact that you need to get better and you got to have that work ethic. And that's why I think you see a lot of players that are walk-ons or the two- or three-star guys that they develop into good football players in college because they work hard.
1: And you say that and i'll close it with this that ties into the two guys that are your leading heisman guys matt jones who is a three-star recruit that flipped from kentucky to alabama and kyle trask who did not start in high school behind eric king and then became a starting quarterback at florida those are two guys that were not five stars but they worked their tail off and look where they're at now
0: and they didn't quit exactly you know but, they didn't didn't walk out on their team especially in the middle it drives me crazy these guys to walk out on on their team in the middle of the year i mean like go on don't let the door hit you in the
1: behind on the way out that's true. That's true. So, uh, you know, we we kind of tied it up nicely. We started with them two, and we, we closed it up talking about Matt Jones and Kyle Trask. And uh, as always, Matt, I do appreciate you coming on the show. Always fun talking college football and SEC with you. Uh, and uh, as always, if the listeners want to follow you online, where can we find you and uh, all the work done over there at Lindy Sports?
0: Yeah, I'm writing in our magazines. we got a couple coming up. We're doing uh, LindySports.com I'm on there. And uh, Matt Lowe, 777 at Twitter right now
1: all right sounds good matt once again i do appreciate the time and i look forward to talking again sometime down the road
0: all right thank you phil appreciate it boy.
1: and once again thanks to matt Lowe for coming on the show I always appreciate him taking the time to come on the show and discuss all things SEC college football really uh very very interesting opinions there from matt on the iron Bowl, just alabama overall florida and vanderbilt situation and be fun to keep an eye on both the Vanderbilt and South Carolina situations there and see uh, who becomes the new head coaches at both those schools. Now, in the final segment of the show, we are going to go around the SEC, and let's kick it off with the first topic. All right, first up, uh, we're going to look at some of the other games in the conference that me and Matt really didn't touch on. Ole Miss playing Mississippi State this weekend in the Egg Bowl. Ole Miss one thirty-one to twenty-four. Ole Miss goes to four and four on the year. Mississippi State drops to two and six. Ole Miss came out really, really on fire, jump out fourteen to nothing. But then Mississippi State did, you know, find some defense, was able to make some stops against Ole Miss on fourth down stops and keep it close and had a hail mary attempt there at the end. Of course, like I said, Ole Miss 131-24. Look for Mississippi State. I really like what i've seen of them the last three weeks i know they're one and two in those games but i think mike leach has found his group of guys that he knows you know he can ride with now he said something about that early in the year we got to find out who wants to be here who doesn't i think he's found his guys now that he wants to look they played really close with georgia last week losing 31 24 when they only had 49 scholarship players go with him in that game be Vanderbilt before that, and then they played really well here in the Ole Miss side of things. Look, Ole Miss is four and four on the year. They've won three games in a row. They have a good chance at going five and five. Maybe with an upset over A and M, they go to six and four. Uh, we don't know how those games are going to be scheduled yet. It's not officially on the on the board, but the SEC did put out a tweet on Monday saying they would announce the schedules for December twelfth and nineteenth this Friday. So keep an eye out on that. We'll get talked about it on that the podcast next week because the Friday podcast will be already to be released by the time that comes out. And then on Sunday they will announce the times for those games. So we're going to get some games on the nineteenth. SEC Championship Day, look, you, you hate everything going on in 2020 with COVID, and that's that's why we're having the schedule like it is. But I will say this. It will kind of be interesting and fun on the 19th that we will get some SEC games to kind of lead us into the SEC Championship game. that will be in prime time this year, so that's going to be a lot of fun as well. But uh, when you look at Ole Miss, though, they do play A&M. They play LSU. They should beat LSU. That's the team I think they should beat. And then we're going to get some LSU stuff here in a second, too. But A&M, that'll be a tough game because a and trying to get into the playoff, of course, in you know good, good position. But Ole Miss going 5-5 five and five is very, very feasible. And going into the season, I thought Ole Miss could have an improved team uh, with Lane Kiffin, but I was not thinking five wins for this team. But they look like they're going to do it. So really good year uh, so far uh, for Ole Miss and year one, Lane Kiffin. <laughs> Georgia defeated South Carolina 45-16. to 16. Just looking at that whole thing there, Georgia looks a lot better since JT Daniels has taken over at quarterback, I mean, offensively especially. Last week, he played really well. Big numbers, of course. We talked about that on the podcast last week. This week, not the big numbers. He did throw two touchdown passes, but the running game for Georgia was spot on. 332 yards on the ground. James Cook had 104 off six attempts, two touchdowns. Samir White, 84 yards, two touchdowns. I thought you were going to say, it's against South Carolina, not playing well. It's just beating teams that you're supposed to be beat to beating them handily. That's very important for Georgia. They had some games earlier in the year that they should have done this to other teams, but they didn't do that. But seeing Georgia's doing that. Look, Georgia, and a lot of people were upset last week that they were ranked so high in the first playoff rankings in the top ten maybe and I agree with this it's a lot of because they're in the SEC and the reputation of being an SEC team but Georgia playing well they'll go to a bowl game be and then we'll see from there can they carry some momentum into next year or JT Daniels because they'll be highly thought of be one of the favorites obviously with Florida to win the SEC East Probably will be the favorite next year, anyways. With Kyle Trask more, more than likely gone from Florida going to the NFL, to year he's having so Georgia will probably be the favorite next year to win the East. So, let I me mean, ask what you got to look at it for Georgia. You were hoping this would be a year you could compete for a national championship, but maybe it's next year uh, if you can get past Alabama and some other big rivalry games. But with JT Daniels moving forward, uh, that's where the Georgia Bulldogs look to be going. <laughs> another game from saturday we'll talk about like i said we did not really mention much with matt there a&m at number five beat lsu 27 lsu had no time to pass the ball offense line just got obliterated in this game but a in front was great forced three turnovers but keller was not good and i know it was bad weather it was rainy the ball was wet and all that good stuff mon was 11 for 34 105 yards no touchdowns he didn't throw any sections now isaiah spiller was 141 yards on 27 attempts on saturday he played a fantastic game, but offensively, they were not good. Now, they go to Auburn this week. I'm going to say this, and a lot of people are going to look at me crazy or look at their phone crazy or whatever the device you use on podcast. I'm not saying A&M is losing to Auburn, but what I am going to say is this. I would not be shocked if Auburn wins this game because coming off of that game against Alabama in the iron ball where Auburn did not play well at all defensively they were really bad that's where I worry Spiller might can have a big game against Auburn because of that run run defense of Auburn not playing that great this year but this is kind of game Gus Malzahn back against the wall he knows he needs to win this game Auburn's back at home and Auburn is a completely different team at home over the years under Gus Malazan, Bo Nix is a completely different quarterback at home than he is on the road. So Auburn's going to give him a game. This will not be a big time blowout. But uh, I'm going to save my pick for later in the week. But Auburn would be shocked if they win that game, though. But I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they won't. You have to wait till Friday's podcast on my pick for that one. <laughs> All right, next up, we're going to talk about players opting out, and that's been a a, a storyline throughout the year. You have players before the season decide they weren't going to participate in the season. Jamar Chase at LSU was one receiver. But now you're seeing players doing it now. And it seems like, okay, we're having a bad year. I'm just going to shut this thing down, get ready for the draft. Wide receiver from LSU, Terrence Marshall, on Sunday announced he was doing that. He was done for the season with LSU. And defensive back for Kentucky on Monday, he announced, uh, Kelvin Joseph announced that he was going to be opting out as well. I have never had an issue with players not playing in ball games. That I've never, I've never been bothered by that. I know some people are. I get it, traditionalists, and all that stuff. I've never had that issue. The season was over. That's it. You're not going to play in a ball game. It to me, it just feels different when you opt out during a season like this. And I, and look, they've got the right to do it. So I'm not saying they shouldn't have the right. But in a sense, though, at the same time, it does kind of feel like you're quitting on your team. Because you you hear coaches all the time say, you need to finish. You need to finish. That's not really finishing. So, yeah, I'll say I have a little bit of an issue of players opting out before the season is actually over with. Uh, Especially Kentucky, you only have one game left, and that's this week against South Carolina. Uh, LSU, they do have three potential games left. you got the Alabama game, you got Ole Miss still on the schedule, and you still got the forty game. So there's three of them there. So, you know that's kind of how I feel about it. Just you could finish these last games. I know you don't want to. You don't want to get hurt, or with COVID and all that stuff. but I don't know. It just feels different to me when you're opting out with regular season games still remaining versus just doing the bowl game. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at uh, PJordanSEC. Let me know how what you think about it or leave a review on Apple Podcasts and with what your thoughts on on that on players opting out. Now we do have a. Person going to the transfer portal, quarterback from Georgia, DeWan Mathis. Look, he, he got the opportunity to start first games. Arkansas. Played bad. Middle of the second quarter, they pull him out. Stetson Bennett comes in. He got one more opportunity early in the year, but now that it's JT Daniels, he is the guy. Dewan Mathis is probably looking at this thing like, I'm probably not going to play because you also have freshman Brock Vandergriff is going to be there. You're going to be competing with him as well, and he's expected to be the next quarterback at Georgia as well to get playing time. So DeJuan Mathis, well, look, look, I just got to go uh, find an opportunity if I'm going to play. He's very athletic. He's got all the raw skills you want there. He needs to refine his passing there, uh, which maybe he'll get some opportunities for somewhere else where he will be able to do that. But uh, kind of, you kind of probably assumed this was going to happen, so it's really no surprise Dewan Mathis is hitting the transfer portal. <laughs> and finally we're going to talk about the college football playoffs coordinates on a monday evening released on a tuesday morning so that night the latest college football rankings will come out right now in the rankings you do have alabama number one northern is number two clemson three ohio state four i think the committee will keep it there now i i will b- be interested with byu where do they put BYU at? Now, because they got a lot of flack for putting them at 14. Will they bump them up a few spots even though BYU did not play this weekend? Now, I'm going to say this too. Ohio State did not play this week. So, if they have one more game canceled, they cannot play in the Big Ten Championship game. So, if they're set at 5-0 or 6-0, if they do play a game on Big Ten Championship Saturday, but even though they're not in that game. Is that enough? Because schedule-wise, it's not that great. You barely beat Indiana. No disrespect to Indiana, you're a good team. But if you're Ohio State, you're expected to win that game big. So, does Ohio State deserve to go to the playoff? I'm kind of starting to lean no. So, could this be a year we do get a group of five team in a Cincinnati uh, BYU, Marshall, Coastal Carolina, all great stories, great seasons you're having, but you're not quite at that level or the competition you're playing to even, I think, consider in this year just as crazy as the 2020 to get the playoff. I mean, the pac is done, Oregon getting beat, and then USC not playing, and even if those teams have went undefeated, I think it was going to be very hard for them to get into the playoff. Obviously, the Big 12 is done. There's, there's no team... There, everybody's pretty much got two losses there. So you're not going to see anybody from the Big 12. So it kind of comes down almost, if you think about it, to the potentially getting Ohio State in if you put them in. Then you have the ACC with Clemson and Notre Dame and the SEC with Alabama, Florida, and Texas A&M. And then you got Cincinnati sitting there and since they keep doing what they're doing be impressive maybe this is their best shot because I'll be interested with the committee with the lack of games being played by any team out of Big Ten especially Ohio State who is talented enough on paper their talent is as good as Alabama's Clemson Notre Dame Florida A&M all those teams but resume's supposed to matter and your resume's not that big and your schedule's not that daunting they're supposed to play Michigan State this week. We'll see if that happens. If that game does not happen, they will not be eligible to play in the Big Ten Championship game. with the committee put take that and put that against Ohio State? It's gonna be very interesting. It's gonna be very interesting how this whole thing shakes out with the uh with the playoff rankings. I mean, I like I said, when we shot they keep it like it is, those four. Whether those six or seven, Cincinnati's still at seven. But I do wonder will the conversation tilt about not having Ohio State in the playoff if they don't have a lot of games on their resume. It's going to be interesting. And I guess we'll, we'll wait and I'll talk about it on Wednesday, see how they they rank everybody and put them in the latest rankings uh, when they do come out on Tuesday night. And uh, that's going to do it for this edition of Talking SEC. Once again, thanks to Matt Lowe from Lindy Sports for coming on the show. I always appreciate him taking the time to come on and talk college football with us here on the show remember you can follow me on social media at p jordan scc the podcast is available on twitter at talking Pod. the podcast available on apple Podcasts, spotify and all your favorite podcast platforms if you're on apple Podcasts, please subscribe rate and review you can find episodes of the show and interviews from the podcast on youtube just the philip jordan sports youtube channel very easy to find hit that subscribe button on YouTube and leave a comment on a video there. And I'll read that here on a podcast as well. You can always email me at sportstalkphiljordan at gmail.com. I always love to hear from people. And check out my work over at Last Word on College Football as well. Should we have a Auburn-Texas A&M preview sometime this week. Fun shows rest of the week. Wednesday be breaking down the College Football Playoff rankings. Maybe a guest on that episode. And Friday getting ready for the weekend we're going to talk Heisman contenders with Jason Ray from last world college football and also from last world college football and LSU wire Brandon Eisman a regular here on the show he will be on with me to preview the weekend and we'll pick all the SEC games and we'll probably look at the lines of all these SEC games as well go you know, against the spread and stuff like that so a lot of good stuff coming up here on on the podcast and I have my ideas for people I'm going to reach out to to be on next week's shows. But I'll stay tuned, and I'll hopefully by Friday, I'll be able to let you guys know who's going to be appearing on the podcast next week. And also, before I go, real quickly, too, if you see the podcast on Twitter or Facebook, give it a share. Let people know why they should be listening to Talking SEC every single week, multiple times a week, now, here on the feed. Anyways, guys, I hope you have a great Tuesday. I'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Talkin' SEC. Follow Philip on social media at P. Jordan SEC and the show at Talkin' SEC Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time when we're talking SCC.